Glad to be back this week. My name is Andy. I'm the Young Adult Pastor here and just want to welcome each of you guys to the gathering. It's good to meet every week and worship together, dig into God's word together. And you know, we're, we're coming up on a special season of where it seems like there's a holiday on every week and there's a big one coming up and I'm not talking about Thanksgiving. I'm talking about Christmas. It's right around the corner. How many of y'all have already decorated for Christmas? Let's just see, right? Come on, don't be ashamed. All right. It's, we're all excited about it. I mean, when I was a kid, this was my favorite. It's every kid's favorite because you don't know what's going to be under the tree when you wake up on Christmas morning. And when you get there, it takes every bit of energy and effort not to just tear in. Now, how, let me ask this question. How many of you guys grew up in a house where they just, your parents just said, hey, when you get up, just open whatever you want. Anybody have that family? Like, are you just mass chaos? Because I grew up in a family where it was like, it was very orderly. Like my parents tortured us. Like we would have to have a nice big Christmas breakfast all around the table. And then we had to do all the dishes before anyone ever even touched a present. And they would allow me and my brother while we did dishes to like go to the tree and start, you know, parsing out like, all right, these are dads, these are moms, these are Andy. And we just start, you know, placing where everyone's going to sit because they knew we just wanted to touch the presents. We just wanted to get our hands on the wrapping paper. And it was always a moment of just sheer torture and glee all at the same time. You know, because you're running around the living room and you pick up the present, you shake a little bit. You think, okay, what could this be? Because in your little kid mind, you've got your list, right? You've, you've, you know what you've told mom. You, this is what I want this year. If I get this, my life will be complete. And we, in one of these boxes is going to make my life complete. That's kind of our mentality when it comes to Christmas. And let's not lie, that's kind of still our mentality at Christmas. Like some of you guys have already texted your mom. I'm like, hey, if, if by chance you need, you know, here's my Amazon wish list. You know, and, and, and some of you throw it out to the whole public, all right? Like you just throw it out, hey, whoever, I don't even need to know you, but you might want to buy me a Christmas present. Here's my list. If you're that person, I'll block you. But we do it. Because that's, we're hardwired that way. We're hardwired to delight in something. And Christmas is that perfect moment where we get to pick and choose our delight. Say, this, this is the thing. This thing right here. If I could have this, it will fill a hole inside my soul that nothing else other than the new iPhone will fill. Right? That's, that, that's the way we're hardwired. I'm not, I'm not shaming anybody, anybody tonight. Like, that's how we function. Right? When it's your birthday, we go through the same thing. What do you want for your birthday? Oh, man, well, if I could have this or if I could have that. And we, we wait. Like I see this with my kids. It's crazy what happens is they give us this list, and we go shopping because we, we're parents. We, we, want, we want to give good gifts to our children. Right? We want to be a, an example of the Lord who gives good gifts to his children. And so we're like, hey, whatever you want, we're, we're going to do our best to get it. And so we pick and choose on their list. And so our most recent child who ha had a birthday was back in October, and he's our, our quiet one. He's kind of our humble, unassuming, doesn't like the attention. Um, but this year was different. He wanted and loved the attention. But here's what I noticed. As I sat back and watched, he got at least three or four of the things that he really, really wanted. But what happened was he would open the first one with just complete and total, utter excitement. And he would unwrap it. He would pull it out and he'd be like, yes! Okay, next one! Open it up. Yes! 
Okay, next one. And literally by the end of the day, he had put together all of his Lego things. He had played with all of his new footballs. He had worn all of his new jerseys. And then it was over. And you guys know this feeling. At the end of Christmas, or maybe the morning after Christmas, it's the Christmas hangover. Because you're like, it's going to be 364 more days before I can do that again. And you start to realize there's still, there's still a, a wanting. Like those were wonderful and they were great gifts and people showed that they loved you, but there's still that feeling of like, but I want more. Because we're, we're hardwired to pursue our happiness. Right? We're hardwired. It's just built into us that we long for significant and profound joy. And for a moment and for a day, Christmas and our birthday do that for us. And that's why we love it. Because for a moment, it's fun. It brings memories. And I'm not, I'm not dogging on Christmas or your birthday. Man, have a great time. We're going to have a great time. It's a wonderful time. But I think there's an underlying idea that it shows that we in of ourselves are hardwired to seek something outside of ourselves to bring us significant and profound joy. And we look for all different kinds of things. Some of you guys in this room, you're a vacation person. You're like, hey, if I, just, if, if I could just go to that place and be awed, if I could just go to Hawaii, if I could just go to the Grand Canyon, if I could just go to the Bahamas and just and see, man, I just want to be awed. Oh, yes, that'd be great. But even on the best vacations, you're like, I'm kind of ready to go home. I want to be in my bed. Right? And you just get, and then not too long after you get home, you're like, man, I need another vacation. Maybe some of you guys, like, maybe for you, that profound joy comes in like high tech gadgets. Like, you're always getting the new gadget. You want it. You're like, I love the gadgets. I want the new phone. I want to figure out all the tricks and hacks and all that stuff. Dude, by the way, did you guys find this new hack this week of the space bar on the iPhone? Did you, are you kidding me? Are you guys know what I'm talking about? <sighs> Life changer. If you don't know what I'm talking about, Google it. Life changer. Maybe for some of us, it's sports. You are so crazy into a team because you know what? I will do anything because I want the game. I want the experience. I want the camaraderie. I want the noise. I want, like, my pastor that I grew up with uh, here about 15 years ago, he was always amazed. He's like, Andy, I don't understand it. He goes, it could be raining and 30 degrees, and there's going to be 80,000 people outside for four hours. But if it's raining on Sunday morning, our attendance is cut in half, Right? Because we are longing for something to bring us joy and significance and just delight. We want to delight. It's in us. We seek it. We pay money for it. We, we sacrifice time for it. We sacrifice relationships for it. If you want to get started, the darker side of life, we, that's why uh, substance abuse is such a huge epidemic. Because we're seeking an escape and a joy and something that this world doesn't provide without taking a substance to give me a new experience. And so when we talk about this idea of this series of doing yourself a favor, I want to talk tonight simply about fighting for our delight. I want to talk about fighting for our delight. And that sounds maybe a little bit weird because delight seems to be fun and happy, but I think as human beings, we're hardwired for delight. But as we'll get to here in a second, there are two forces in this world that are trying to grab us and convince us of what truly delights. One leaves us with joy and peace. The other leaves us wanting. Just like on the morning after, sun, after Christmas. We're left wanting. Because that longing remains. 
Because too often we try and look for created things to fulfill a longing only creator can fill. And the key, young adults, is to train ourselves to delight and long for what is best. Follow me here. Our tendency as humans is to take the good things and turn them into ultimate things. And ultimately, those things will let us down. And so we need to train ourselves not to go after the good things, but to desire and delight the best thing. And that is the Lord. The way he's made you and the world he's created for you. So, to do that, we're going to look at the, at the Psalm chapter 19 tonight. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Psalm 19, which reminds us to remember God's handiwork, to remember his word, and that we are in the midst of a fight for our delight. That's what we're going to look at tonight. I read one pastor describe Psalm 119 this way. He said, there are two excellent books in this psalm, which God has published for the instruction and the good of his children. The first book in Psalm 19 is verses 1 through 6, in which, he eat, which we easily read the power of God's creation and, his, and that he is the Godhead of creation. The second book in Psalm 19 is the, the scriptures of verse 7 through 11, which makes known to us the will of God concerning our lives. So this passage, listen, within this one psalm, there's two books. There's a book on creation and there's a book on his will. And so let's read Psalm 19 together. Here we go. I'm going to read the whole thing. It's not super long. It's 14 verses. Follow with me. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out throughout all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs his course with joy. It is rising, it, its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. Verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired than gold, even more much than fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover... By them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Verse 12, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you in your sight. O Lord, my rock, and my redeemer. My first point tonight is this. Fighting to delight requires us to remember his handiwork. Let me say that again. Fighting to delight requires us to remember his handiwork. Verse one, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. The heavens are declaring. They are not silent. We look at the sky, and one of the things we love in Oklahoma is our sunsets, right? Like we don't have a lot to brag on here, but our sunsets, come on now. 
Like I remember when I, when, uh, I met a gal uh, here one time. I don't, she's probably here tonight, maybe not, I don't know, but she moved here from Montana. And I was asking her about Montana because I'd never been to Montana. And she said, I love Oklahoma. And I'm like, we need to switch places. <laughs> I'm a mountain guy. I love the cold. I love the big pine trees. I love the smell. I love snow. I want that stuff. And I said, why do you love Oklahoma? And she said, because I can breathe here. I was like, you don't have allergies? No, but that's not what she was talking about. She's like, I can, I can see everything. She's like, when the sun goes down, the sunset is from my right all the way across to my left. And she's like, growing up in Montana, I never saw a sunset. Because the sunset, two hours before the sunset, behind the mountains, and I always felt suffocated. I was like, man, that, that's good, that'll preach. Because the sky, God's creation is proclaiming his glory. And she came here and saw his glory in a whole new way. And in Psalm 19, verse 1, David is saying, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. That word proclaim is the Hebrew word hava, and it means to tell, to declare, to show, and make known the glory of God. Even nature is preaching the glory of God. In Acts 17, Paul talks about this. He's walking through Athens and he sees us, um, a plaque and it's empty. And it says, to the unknown God. And Paul's like, I know you're unknown God. Listen to what he says. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he, had, if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. For one man, he made all nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands Verse 27 of Acts 17 says this, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. Did you ever think that a sunset was made so that you would seek God? That's why the sunset's awesome. God didn't create it for your Instagram. He created it to invite people, say, hey, don't you wonder who made that? Come on, come find me. And so even sunsets preach the good news of a creator who loves us and cares for you. Let his creation, every sunset and sunrise, remind us that he is creating something new every day. Let every wisp of wind remind you that he is moving in this world and in your life. Let every drop of rain remind you that he is growing something in you and through you. Let every season that comes and goes remind you that God is doing something new always, yet he always remains the same. He is faithful. And so even his creation, we don't just look to his word, we'll look at this in just a second, but his creation, the air we breathe, the trees we see, the butterflies that fly around, the birds that go to the south to get warm in the wintertime, everything is crying out his glory. And according to Paul in Athens, he says he did it so that people would see the creation and seek him out. One way we fight to delight in God is to read the book of his creation and be reminded that his creation is there so that we might seek him, find him, know him, and love him. So the next time you see a sunset in Oklahoma, 
Let that spur you on to seek him, the creator who painted that sky. My second point tonight is this. Fighting to delight requires us to remember his words. Fighting to delight requires us to remember his words. Verse 7 through 11 says this. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant warned, in keeping them is great reward." Guys, there's only five verses here and nine promises of the fruit and the product of God's word. Follow me here really quickly. God's word revives the soul. It makes the wise simple. It brings joy to the heart. It enlightens the soul. It endures forever. It is true. It is more desirable than gold. It is sweet to our lips, and it produces a great reward. We have a longing to delight but too often our delight is too easily found in the things of this world. And we're left longing. David here in Psalm 19 is saying, no, 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 there are two books that you need to read. It is the book of his creation that shouts out his glory from the heavens. And then two, the book of scripture that tells us and reveals us the will of God. So where do we typically go to find soul revival? Where do we go for wisdom? Where do we go for joy and sweetness and reward? I gotta be honest, if I, if I could be honest with you for me, like very rarely does my first thought say, oh, I'm, I'm tired, my, my soul needs revival. I need to get in God's word. No, oftentimes I need a nap. I need to sleep. I need to go for a walk. I need to watch a TV show, right? I need quiet, I just need, to, I just need another triple mocha to wake me up. Right, We go to all these things to revive our soul. When David says, listen, what is the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. We have to fight for this because we're so easily drawn away to other things that temporarily seem easier and more convenient. If we want revival, read his word. If we want wisdom for our life, read his word. If you want joy in your heart, read his word. You want truth in your mind, read his word. If you want great reward in your life, read his word. One of my favorite traditions of the Jewish faith is when young men are between the ages of six and 10, they start le learning and memorizing the Torah, which is the first books of the Old Testament. And they start memorizing it. And on the very first day of their class with their rabbi, the rabbi has a tradition and he gets their little slate, you know, like their little personal chalkboard or whatever they're using to learn. And he pours honey all over that slate. And he says, boys, lick the honey. Eat it. Get your fingers and clean it. Wipe it clean of honey. Lick your fingers. Whatever. And he says this. Psalm 119, 103 says, may the words of God be sweet to your taste, sweeter than honey on your mouth. He's telling these young men who are growing up in the faith, may God's word be the sweetest thing to you. Because back then, there was no Skittles. 
There were no Snickers. There were no Butterfinger, which I saw on the back table and I almost took all of them. It didn't exist. The best thing for a young Jewish boy would have been honey. And he said, eat it up, lick it. May God's word be sweeter to you than that honey. Because to, fighting, to fight to our, for our delight, we need to remember God's word. And lastly, fighting to delight requires us to remember that we are in a fight. Now, David takes a weird turn here, I'll admit. He talks about the glory of creation. He talks about the glory and majesty of, of the word of God, the law that, that is perfect, reviving the soul. And then he says, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep me back, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let, not, let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. It's kind of a strange turn of events. He's reminding us of the glory of his creation. He's reminding us of the majesty of God's word that revives the soul and brings joy to the heart. And then he says, but help me. Help me not fall into hidden sin. This is the trapdoor sins, all right? The stuff that you don't even see coming. You're just walking along in life and boom, they get you. You don't see it, it's a trap door. But the one that catches my ear every time I read this is verse 13. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. And that's where I get this idea that we need to remember that we're in a fight. We're in a fight. We're in the fight for our soul. We're in, we're in a fight for our faith. John 10.10, 10, Jesus says this. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy you. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. And David is saying here, God, help me. I see your creation. I see your glory. My delight is in your word all day long. But that doesn't disqualify him from temptation. It doesn't qualify him from tripping up and failing. It doesn't disqualify him or keep him from stepping out and making mistakes. And so what is he asking? He's like, keep me from presumptuous sins. And you, if, if you're anything like me, you're like, what's a presumptuous sin, Andy? Great question. You guys are really smart tonight. Here's what a presumptuous sin is. I, I, I dug, I'm like, what is this? Is there, is there a special sin that makes it presumptuous? If hidden faults are a trap door, Presumptuous sins are huge double doors that we walk towards purposefully. We see it, we know what it is, and we say, I know better, it's not gonna hurt me. I presume to know better. I presume that it will not affect me. I presume that I know better than God. It is willful disobedience walking in and embracing sin. Something that I know that if I had a friend, I would say, you know what, dude, don't, no, don't. How can I help you? But I say, you know what, for me, it's not that bad. That's presumptuous sin. I'm presuming to know more than God. I'm presuming that it will not affect me. But I'll help you get rid of it in your life. I'll tell you to avoid the big double doors. And so David is saying, I delight in your word. I delight in your creation. It tells me of your glory. Your word revives my soul. But that doesn't mean I'm immune. He says, keep, me, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. We have to remember that we are in a fight. We're in a fight. 
The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come. Jesus says, I have come to give life that you may have to the full. In Romans chapter 7, one of the most encouraging verses to me, 21 through 25, Paul says this, So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body that's subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then maybe the sweetest, greatest verse is followed up in Romans 8.1. It says, therefore, there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul's saying, I know the fight. The fight is very near and dear to me. I know it. When I want to do the righteous thing, when I want to delight in God's word, evil is right there with me, tempting me, saying, hey, over here, delight in this, delight in this. This is easier. This is quicker. You deserve this. It's not going to be that bad. Satan is the great tempter. He's always looking for ways to steal you, to kill you, and to destroy you. And God's word does the opposite. It revives the soul. It brings joy to the heart. And so fighting to delight requires that we realize and remember that we are in a fight. Right? The worst thing to be is in a fight and not know you're in a fight. (laughs) You're going to get the living daylights punched out of you. And some of us, I know for me for a long time, I just assumed, you know what? I'm a good Christian kid. It'll be fine. I'll make good choices. And I trust I have presumptuous sin. I'm different. I can do it. I can do it on my own. And David's saying, no, no, no. I delight in your creation and your glory. I delight in the law. I I read your word. I know it back and forth. But help me. Keep me. And then in verse 14, we see his true delight. What is the desire of his heart? David says this, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. How do we fight? Two quick ways. Number one, we start looking at Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, and we actually do it. This is the armor of God. We put on the armor of God. And the only, you guys have probably heard this before in different sermons and lessons, but I'll say it again because it is so true. The only offensive weapon in the Christian's arsenal is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. If we don't have a handle on this in our life, if we don't know it, if we're not memorizing it, we're walking into a fight with no weapon. This is where the fight happens, this is our offense. So the first thing we do is we put on the armor of God. In Ephesians chapter 6, you can read about it. And then secondly, and this is probably the harder thing, is we take James 5.16 and we actually implement it into our life. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another so that you may be healed. This is why I beat down the community flag all day long. You've got to be in community. You have got to be around other believers, other Christians who are fighting the fight with you. That you can go and say, hey, this is the delight that attempts me away from Christ. It just, it's always calling to me. It is the presumptuous sin that always gets me. I need you to help me fight. James 5.16 says, confess your sins to one another. Don't fight alone. Get your people. Get in a small group. 
be honest and transparent with people and say, this is who I am. Because guess what? Romans 8.1 says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So that little whisper in the back of our mind says, don't admit that you struggle. Don't admit that you have a presumptuous sin. Don't do it. Don't tell anybody. Why does he tell you that? Why does our enemy tell us, don't tell? Because he knows that if he's got you by himself, he is going to beat the living daylights out of you. And you have no hope. There's such great value in community and being known. And we walk in and we say, hey, we're going to study God's word. We're going to sharpen our sword together so that we are ready for the fight. And then when the fight comes, we are going to, we're going to communicate with each other. This is where I'm getting beat up. This is where I'm seeing victory. This is how the victory is happening. This is where I'm getting defeated, how I'm getting defeated, when I'm getting defeated. Guys, come, come rally around me. Pray with me. Call me. Text me. We have to fight to delight in the things of God. And that requires remembering that we are in a fight. Like I said at the beginning, we all seek to delight in something. We all seek to find happiness. And David says in Psalm 19 that true delight, true joy, and true wisdom are found in God. And we are reminded by that in both his creation and his word. His creation shouts his glory proclaims the goodness of God and his word does the exact same thing. So when you came in here tonight, you probably hopefully got two things handed to you at the door. One is a note page and the other was this random little stick. Here's what I want you to pull that out. If you didn't get one, raise your hand. We got some volunteers that will hand them to you because I want everybody to have one. Does anybody not have one? Raise your hand if you don't have one. A couple down here, one back there. Jordan's gonna give them for you in just a second. Here's what I want you to do. As we do every week, we're gonna go into 120 seconds here in a second. We're just gonna sit with Psalm 19. Our prayer team will be in the back, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to pull out that little stick because what that stick is, that stick is honey. At the very top of it, you're gonna squeeze it. Everybody do it. Squeeze it sidewise. You have to squeeze kind of hard and it'll just pop open. It's not gonna get all over you. Just pull that thing open. And here's what I want you to do. In the next 120 seconds, as the band comes back up and we give you just a minute to think and pray, I want you to eat that honey. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to let that honey sit on your tongue and then I want you to turn to the Lord just in your own way, in your own seat and say, God, help me delight in your word that I would like your word as much as this honey. That it would be sweet music to my ears and to my heart and to my soul. Because that's what scripture says in Psalm 119, 103. May the words of God be sweet to your taste, sweeter than honey to your mouth. Ask God to show you the sweetness of his word. Or maybe the opposite is ask God to show you the hidden and presumptuous sins that keep dragging us away and convincing us to delight in things that will not satisfy. Let me pray for us as we go into this time as we eat our honey and we pray that God would show us the sweetness of his word. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you for this night. Thank you for bringing us here. God, we thank you for the words of David in Psalm 19 that says your creation is proclaiming the goodness of of God and that your word revives the soul, brings joy, gives us wisdom. God, I pray as we eat this honey, that taste of sweetness would forever linger with us 
that it would remind us of the sweetness of your word and that we would want to read and spend time in your word and in your creation to find that sweetness. Praise things in your name. Amen.